and welcome to this podcast series from Prompt Business Strategies, the turnaround and growth specialists. We will be taking a close look at the world of turnaround and exploring how to grow your business. We'll be talking to the people who've experienced it, from financial directors to lawyers and business owners, in order to give you insight and practical help. So if you are faced with dealing with a similar situation, hopefully it won't seem so daunting. Your host is David Stone, founder and CEO of Prompt Business Strategies. He'll be joined by a range of experts to discuss the hot issues. We hope you enjoy this podcast. John, many thanks for making time to discuss the challenges directors and shareholders face when businesses encounter difficulties. Turnaround often gets um, compared to, in effect, the hospital A&E. And I think there's a lot of synergies there, Um, one of which is the urgency to actually keep the patient, in our case, the company alive, and to give it options. And today we're going to really explore the techniques and the processes that you can take on board as a director or shareholder to buy yourself time and develop a strategy to turn a business around. John, can you give us just a a sort of brief uh, introduction to yourself and your background, please? Yeah, sure, David. Um, Yeah, good to talk. And um, yeah, so my background, I trained as a lawyer, it seems like a thousand years ago. Um, (laughs) uh, And as a a, a young lawyer trainee, I did a really good mix, actually, looking back. It was a great uh, training to have as a banking lawyer, but also as a restructure and insolvency lawyer. So Perhaps it wasn't surprising that on the back of that training at both ends of the spectrum, money-wise, of lending it and then trying to get it back, that I've ultimately ended up settling in the middle of that and working on sort of corporate restructuring, trying to help companies that uh, are in the middle of that sort of uh, transition, really. So my skill set's all around sort of insolvency work, but also about uh, helping companies uh, raise money. So uh, that was the background. And from that, I've become a, a partner in a law firm, an equity partner in a law firm, uh, and I'm also an equity partner in a corporate finance practice, which is probably quite a rare thing. I don't suppose there's many lawyers that are mad enough to also be partners <laughs> in corporate finance practices, um, or vice versa. So, um, yeah, managing to hold down those two roles at the moment, which I think do serve me well for the skills that often I need that uh, in the kind of restructuring work that we we do. John, that's really fine. That's a really good background. Um, when you get approached by businesses in difficulties, and often I appreciate there's a there's a mix of sort of financial and other challenges. What support are they typically looking for? Uh, and I'm really obviously pulling on your breadth of experience here as well. And I'm just slightly intrigued of you know what's that first phone call, uh, and what is their normal sort of point of help that they think they're needing at that point. Yeah, sure, Dave. It's an interesting question, actually, thinking back over the years about the uh, the various ways that it all starts, you know, because often that gets lost in the, the detail and the intensity of a particular assignment. But for me, often, uh, I suppose with the legal background initially, it starts with um, uh, with the sort of need for directors' duties advice. So people realise they've got a problem. Um, they know the rules are slightly different when things, uh, when the, a company is facing solvency issues. And it's sort of that's the way in. So from my perspective, it's the sort of start of the journey talking to the board about the way they should be approaching the situation from a very narrow, quite legalistic perspective. But inevitably, with all these things, it, it morphs into a very different kind of discussion. Through that, you get a good feel of actually what the issues they're facing are, um, their worries, their concerns, uh, and the kind of 
helping put some kind of structure and priority on those issues is the key because uh, the analogy I always use for the kind of situation that a board will often face, it's a bit like the plug hole scenario. You know, in the early stages of financial difficulties, things start to sort of swirl around them and then sort of become a bit disorientated and dizzy. And the more time goes on, things spin faster and faster and faster. Uh, and, and it's harder and harder for them to focus on the key things that they need to be uh, working on and, and focusing on. So uh, it, it often starts on that that side of things. So the advice to the board about their technical duties, but then I say inevitably morphs into something bigger and wider. The, the other route, I suppose, in this this become more prevalent for me is the need for companies to raise money. You know, yes, being in financial difficulty, the flip side of that coin is is often, and therefore we need some cash quickly. So, who, who do you know? Um, anybody that we could talk to that would be able to find some money from high net worth or lenders that no one's even heard of that would be able to get money into this situation quickly. So the other way in is, is through the need to raise money quickly. So, um, yeah, but once again, it often morphs into something different on the back of that uh, initial introduction. John, thank you. And is it the board or, or the owner, sort of shareholder, who, who typically approaches you first, actually? Is, is there a, yeah, is it one route in terms of is it the shareholder or the board or is it a complete mix it's a, yeah it's a good question David. i mean often it's it's various routes in and i suppose it depends the reason they're coming to me you know if it's a, a recommendation from an accountant you know if it's a director's duties advice or often a colleague you know that um, you know may have done some employment work for the company but uh, may obviously realize they need some specialist help on the back of a redundancy process you know you, have, you know is the ball taking some advice generally um, and it's been instruction from colleague um so it, it can be a bit of a mix really but it, inevitably uh, it could also be a lender you know a concerned and diligent bank yeah. realizes they're in difficulty in the bank and the company the board needs some specialist help you know that's quite a good sign when that happens because it shows the signs that you've got a good bank in the background that are uh, mindful of the company's needs that are supportive of it and and generally trying to get them to do the right thing and make the right decisions you know and therefore implicit in that is take some good quality specialist advice um so if the bank has suggested that the company speak to us, you know that the bank's uh, obviously concerned, but it's also generally supportive because otherwise they wouldn't take the effort to play us into the frame, as it were. So inevitably, whatever needs doing, you're going to need to work with the board. Um, and, and, uh, and you know, obviously the other route in could be through the owners themselves, you know, because whatever needs to be done, it's the board that ultimately going to be making those decisions and it's their heads are on the block. Um, you know, whether those decisions are correct or not, ultimately. They're the ones that can recharge nobody else. Yeah, it's a really good point you make about the bank, actually, and keeping the bank aligned. Um, do, you, do you find that the board has a sort of full grasp of, of the situation, or possibly even more, what it, what's in front of them? I mean, because I often reflect and look back over projects and thinking, crikey, the brief at the very beginning of this <laughs> is no, bears no resemblance <laughs> to the journey or the end. And I'm just sort of in, intrigued that what your initial reaction, potentially on a board or, or direct particularly, yeah. contacts you, whether, and it's not meant to be a criticism of them, it, it's circumstance, whether they really understand the true situation and, and the journey they're about to embark on, whether they intend to or not. Yeah, uh, well, I think it's a really good question david and you, you know you think of the ones that we've worked on over the years uh, as a team together working together on these couple of assignments putting yourself in the company's perspective the board's perspective you know in their shoes however good a board they are you know they might be the best board of directors ever but it's likely that they would have not dealt with a situation like this before um, and if they have 
Um, you know, some of them can be quite jaded by the experience. I, I think probably if they had the benefit of hindsight, if they knew at the start of their journey what they were about to embark on, they'd probably all leave and resign immediately. So it's probably best that they, they don't actually get it. Um, some do. Uh, some have a rough idea. It's just I think what, the, what we bring to it is a sort of um, an aspect of calm, uh, an aspect of sensible, uh, cool reflection on the issues at hand and, um, and, and, and what to prioritise first. Um, yeah. As I said, it's that whole thing that's the sort of discombobulated, quite disorientating sort of effect of the process. And, and the later they speak to us, the more dazed they can often be. And I said that this isn't a criticism of directors generally, only specific teams. However good they are, it's a very, very different set of, uh, of, of skills that they will need to demonstrate, resilience being probably the main one. Um, being calm and measured and being able to deal with the issues they face in the right order. The, the, so the analogy I, I sort of, when someone says, what, what do you do for a job? You know, the, the classic question. Yes. It's kind of, <laughs> what have you really done today? No, it's kind of A&E for companies. It's, it's that need to not worry about the broken leg. You know, at the moment, we're, we're not getting any oxygen into the body. You know, this is, yeah. this is key. So don't worry about the fact that full staff are going to leave. The key thing is we've got to find some cash. Otherwise, you know, the whole thing falls to get to bits in two days' time. And, and, and that need to be able to calmly uh, lead them through what can be a fairly um, complex and fast-moving process um, is, is the key bit. And the key bit, which you all know very well, because you're very, very good at doing this, um, it, it is getting trust very quickly. They have to believe that you really have been here and done it. They, they have to believe that you know what you're talking about. And they have to listen because the other thing that happens is they just end up with so many voices, often telling them different things and often from not very experienced quarters. That's such a key point. I have to say, I mean, as you know, I sort of live on a roadmap. And the minute I get involved, uh, obviously in projects for yourself and with the boards and shareholders, is getting that roadmap. And actually yeah. tr- that roadmap hopefully tries to explain the journey they're about to embark on. Yeah. Um, and as we both know, we always will say, you know, wish you'd contact us sooner. But, yeah, the reality is that doesn't happen. And we've done it for enough years and know it won't happen because human nature, I think it is, you leave things, you believe you can solve something. And I think... yeah. As a director, particularly, I think you you believe you, you know, you're in a senior position, and therefore you're expected to solve things. In your normal world, you do. Yeah. But some of the things we see are so out of the ordinary that, that they just are not equipped in their day to day knowledge yeah. of, of running a business. So I think that's sort of quite interesting. Your roadmap product, David, is absolutely key. To, uh, I think because it gives everyone something to focus on. It's a plan everyone can get behind. And it's very clear, you know, it pulls together all the key strategic aspects of the process and everyone can see a journey. Because the otherwise, everyone just thinks it's just another bad day today. It's another little day of stuff happening that I'm really struggling to deal with. Whereas that gives a sense of we're here, we've got a plan, we're all behind it, and we're going to move from where we are today to a better place tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. So it's absolutely key. But essential before you can almost raise that as a prospect is you've got to get everyone's confidence in the process and in you. Because otherwise, you know, why should we listen to him? Who's he? What's his credentials? And and I, I think that's key. And, and getting everyone's confidence is uh, is essential. Because as you say, the nature of the directors often, sadly, is that they do leave it quite late. Um, and because it's, I think it's, a, there is an acknowledgement of potential failure. You know, sometimes businesses get into yep. difficulty through circumstances totally outside the board's control. But even if it is within, you know, because of something they might have done, 
you are where you are, you know, but it, it, it does come with sometimes a sort of sense of failure that we're here. We, and if we'd been good directors, this wouldn't have happened. So that often means that we perhaps don't get involved as early as, as we should. And, and as I said to someone once, you know, you can never speak to us too, too, too early in stage in the process because the very worst that can happen is we say, great, these are the kind of big issues you need to be thinking about, you know, focus on those and speak to us in six months if things haven't improved you know that that's yes. that's the very worst by coming to speak to us early the downside of you speak to us too late is the the plug hole of things are spinning so quickly even with our strengths to help lift you up and get you into a better place that 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 becomes harder and harder the times as the time gets shorter and shorter the options available um are less and less and, and then energy needed to um to extricate the company from the situation is, is more and more, you know, it needs more and more energy. To- oh, it's incredible. I mean, the amount of time and resource it pulls out of other company from, and the danger is during this sort of restructuring and fundraising and everything. Yeah. The board almost doesn't have enough time to do the day-to-day management of the company. I mean, yeah. that's what's quite scary, um, you know, for those directors. Um, I think, well, sorry, David, I think, you know, picking up that point, I think that's exactly what you guys do. And, you know, the situation's, I will, well, I may already be involved, but I will strongly recommend that the board bring you, you and Pomp team in to, in, in to be involved. It's because of, of that resource and specialism point. Often, you know, it starts with that, and often, as I say, it develops into something else. Um, because, well, the case that we're just finishing at the moment, for example, that, um, you know, it's been 18 months, and that board has really had a very limited time to be able to focus on the, running the day-to-day business. You know, and it's a complex business they've got with huge levels of responsibility. And yep. yet... I know I'm doing four or five hours a day on board calls with banks and institutions and strategic, you know, um, stakeholders and and various other advisors. So if I'm doing that, they're on all those calls and then they've got other stuff to do. How the heck are they running a complex business as well? Yeah, no, it's so true. And that just leads me on to, I often get worried about the sort of rift, the potential rift between the board and shareholders. And how often do you see that sort of disconnect, and equally, how often do you see great alignment? Because that always slightly worries me when we first go in, because often we get to know the board quite quickly. Yeah. But if the board is not the shareholders, it takes, for us, takes a lot longer to actually get to the shareholders. I'm just interested what your sort of general view on that relationship between board and shareholders, and then, you know, advisors dovetailing it into that as well. Yeah, sure. As you know, David, I mean... The, the responsibility for delivering the plan and the ultimate culpability, if the culpability is the right word, but that's the ultimate risk for directors on any turnaround, you know, that they don't make the right choices and their their conduct is is not um, sufficient or adequate to, to be considered appropriate for a director in a situation like that. When they fall, it's their heads on the block. It's not the shareholders. Obviously, the shareholders risk to lose their, their investment in the business. But in terms of the decisions that are made day to day, it's got to be the board. It's, let's say it's their, their, yeah. they're the people ultimately responsible. And the difficulty you get, of course, is whilst the company's doing well, the board owe their share, their directors, the, the board owe their duties predominantly uh, to the shareholders. So in, in a time of normal solvency, everyone's aligned. Uh, and I think, you know, this is the nub of it, really, that in a, in a, in a company trading well, board owe their, due, their duties to uh, the shareholders. What happens, of course, is when a company gets into any element of financial difficulty, uh, is that totally switches and the board's duties are no longer owed to the shareholders. They're owed to the company's creditors. Yes. But the shareholders are used to the board pretty much doing what they say or what they strongly indicate they want the situation to be. And at this key time, you have this divergence that we as the advisors to the board 
uh, on making very clear that the board need to act in the best interest of the company, which being its creditors rather than its shareholders. There's this pivot point. Yep. And you can easily lose the shareholders on it. So you have to explain that this, is, this isn't a decision the board are taking on. This is what I am telling them they have to do. And anything that isn't following that route, um, you know, leaves the leaves them uh, at risk of uh, of some very serious um, conduct issues against them. So the good thing is you can put yourself in the position of being, you know, quotes the baddie. Um, that, that, that you know, it's 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 these damn lawyers. You know, that it's it's him that's telling us we've got to be mean to you, Mister Shareholder, and that we can't pay you the million pounds back that you want back today. Um, but you know, if you support the turnaround and the business gets back to a stable platform, then of course we'll be able to get back to normality, and we can talk to you about what you want us to do for you. And that's the way to position it: is sort of put yourself as the advisor or the lawyer in the firing line, protect the board. And then try and get that realignment again, because I think that's a really valid point you make. Actually, this the, the sort of ultimate, the sort of divergence from shareholder, in effect, controlling everything and reporting directly into the, to the emphasis over to the creditors. Yeah, and then the longer game plan is to get the business solvent back on its feet, and then the shareholders come back into play in a normal capacity relationship with the board. I I think that's so well made, actually, because I think often at the outset without the right advice going to the directors, I think it's quite hard for them to see sure. that divergence and the, and the timing and when that tipping point arrives. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and, that's, and, 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 and there is a clear point, you know, that can be fairly clearly demonstrated mathematically or economically that when they should be switching that allegiance, and it's at a key time when the shareholder will be putting them under all sorts of pressure. So put yourself as a lawyer in the firing line is my top tip number one and top tip number two is actually pitch to the shareholder that the best chance they've got to get whatever they want to happen is to support this trading and support the directors through this transitional period and we talk about transition and transformation baby don't we it's not about a failure in the slide you know you, you only get what you want mr shareholder by getting behind the board and getting through this period because there's no way they can do what you want them to do now so get behind them, support us in the process, get back to sort of calmer waters, and then, yeah, I'm sure those various things that you need the board to do become an acceptable priority for them again in the future. So, yeah, it's, it's key. And as you know, David, without alignment between the shareholders, the, the owners and the, and the board, you just go go nowhere. I mean, you just literally go around in circles and it becomes, a you know, it's, it's absolutely fundamental to the whole process because there's just too many battles to fight externally you can't yes. waste a moment more than you need to to get everyone aligned on, on anything internally. You know, the battle will be lost before you've even begun if you have to deal with an internal situation like that. So, and, and often I've gone so far sometimes to the banging heads together in the early stages if the, you know, the sort of technical arguments as to why the board, those shareholders can't get their own way while the board are having to act the way they are. If that doesn't work from the technical perspective, you know, you get to the point sometimes saying, I cannot act for you yes. as a company if you are asking me to do this, because that can't happen. The board will cannot do what you're asking them to do. My clear view is X, uh, and you only get to your sort of the, the going graph, the other side of the of the, the situation, if we all get behind this. And, and that and it's a condition of me continuing to help you with this for you to, to get that, in, in, to yeah. understand that clearly. No, I agree. I think that sort of relatively blunt conversation is, is critical and I think as advisors I think that's what we bring hopefully bring to the party yeah I think that comes from experience with David you know there's lots of people that I'm sure we could think of names that I know it's confidence or like it's been sort of less uh, less effective practitioners in our world will sometimes 
find it difficult to have those urgent, pretty direct conversations, but you, you have to do it. You know, you've got to do it. No, I agree. Yeah. You've got to do it. You've got to do it early as possible as well. Um, John, sort of, yeah, for someone listening into this as a, as a director or shareholder listening into this podcast and it's just starting to worry that they've got problems, but they're not really quite sure which way to turn. Sure. What would be sort of, sorry to put you on the spot, but what would you be sort of your top couple of tips that you would give potentially a shareholder and possibly even more important directors, actually, more I think about it, what would you recommend they do if, if, if yeah, let's just ask them to see problems? I'd ask them firstly whether they believe that there is a, a business that's capable of being solved or you know, saved. Uh, there is yep. an issue there that they, they believe, honestly, that we, we, we feel that we're in some difficulties. Not quite sure how bad it is, but we, we still honestly believe there is something here that's good that we can pull out the fire. Uh, if they don't and they just need somebody that, to put the thing to bed, that you know, we've lost control, we've got no confidence in it, we've got no plan, we have no desire or energy to create a plan, then it's a different introduction, I think, isn't it, to somebody that will deal with the end of the company, you know, the final process, you know, an insolvency practitioner, for example, or liquidator administrator, but it's the end of the company and they just need to be introduced to some program. I think if they honestly believe that there are some issues there, they're not quite sure how serious, they're not quite sure how urgent they need to act. Um, my overarching comment, which I think touched on early on, is don't leave it too late. You know, and, yeah. and to the point that I know you will do this and I will do this, spend some time with them initially with no charge, um, but spend some time chatting to them to discuss and understand the position without any commitment or any fee charge for them so they can get some independent, good quality advice as to exactly how and where they sit and what the situation requires in terms of advice. The, the second bit I would do, uh, if they then realise that there is an issue and they do need to move, is I would hire the best possible advice that they can afford. And it's not about who's the most expensive person, but I would get sounding boards of, of uh, other directors, take references from from a professional that they may have been referenced, um, uh, and speak to the people that the, the, the directors of the companies that those uh, advisors have, have, have helped over the years. And, and 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 the biggest question I think I would ask would be, ask how many successful turnarounds <laughs> that advisor has done. Because yes. in our world, there are a lot of people who hold themselves out as turnaround specialists, but actually have never actually done a turnaround. What they've done is a huge number of insolvency cases, and, you know, they're all very skilled at that. No, I, I think what you just said is really critical, actually, and that is that there are a lot of advisors out there, and I think it is taking references. I mean, I know you do this, and, and prompt we do this, is we're always keen for, the, for potential directors who are interested in using us in some capacity to go and speak with some of our recent, and we also think recent is important. Yeah, some of the recent case studies, you know, recent companies we've turned around, and then they can hear exactly the process from somebody who has got no angle other than to tell it as it was. And I think that's really critical. Yeah, um, exactly. Because you haven't got time to lose, have you? At the beginning of this journey, stabilisation is critical, and if you lose days and weeks and have yeah. the wrong advisor, yeah, um, most probably it could be game over. I suspect. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, that was a case that um, you, know, you and I both got involved with previously with, uh, you know, a, a significant 100 million plus turnover business that, you know, were, it's that part that they, where they got it wrong, uh, and I'll argue the point against myself here, was they, they went with somebody they knew and trusted 
the only downside was the person they knew and trusted was their IFA wealth manager, totally Ill- ill-equipped to be able to lead them through a complex restructuring process. However, they did at least trust him, I suppose. That was the one thing you say in his favour of theirs. But they then have retained this chap to run a very complicated process. And thankfully that we got involved, as you know, David, early enough. And yeah. well, actually, it was easy for me because I just got you involved. So I, I didn't have to do beyond that, which is uh, the best credit I could say to you. But uh, I mean, you imagine what that process would have ended up with and however many hundreds and hundreds of jobs lost and a really, really good business in that space would have been lost because uh, there's no doubt that the uh, person who was sort of yeah. running the process in the loosest possible word was, um, was totally illiquid for it. So I, th- I think we to ourselves down a bit, and probably a, a joint criticism of us both, that, and I don't know how we overcome this, but it, the, the market, and if you're a director, however sophisticated, the market talks about insolvency and restructuring and turnaround specialists. And I, I think if, if it was sort of, I don't know, best friend's business or my father's business. And I, and I wasn't involved, but I was, uh, you know, I was, I was new enough to be dangerous about what they were about to face. I think you've got to be really careful to, if you're retaining an insolvency practitioner, you know, because there are some really good IPs out there. Uh, they're all very good and professional, but in terms of turnaround, there aren't many that truly do turnaround. Um, they're, they're, they are generally involved with formal appointments of some form of insolvency process. Yes. So it's a very different route. Now, quite often the jobs we get involved with, they part of the group, they need to be reshaped, and, and, we, and we know the people who are, who are insolvency practitioners. But if you talk about, talk about pure turnaround and restructuring and saving the company as an entity, you know, it's, it's, there's a very few that would I would be, suggest that have got the requisite skills and, and are actively doing that day in, day out. You know, it's... Um, yeah. Um, and, and, and therefore, I think you're better off as a director of a company going for someone who is a who doesn't have an insolvency license, doesn't take insolvency appointments. Because even if there is an insolvency practitioner out there, and there are some, to be fair, that are minded and good uh, when it comes to turnaround, the problem is there's always an inherent conflict. You know, it's the it's the chicken and the fox kind of yeah. analogy. You know, yeah. you, but you're here. Don't you do insolvency appointments? You know, when I want someone here to fight for my company, oh no, I'm going to help you fight the company right until the point where I don't and I, I take insolvency appointments. So, whereas, you know, for yourself, for my, I once had a, in my career the chance to, did I want to start taking insolvency appointments? It was something I was very clear I didn't want to do because I thought there was an inherent conflict there that if I was lining up a potential formal appointment to do an insolvency process, then I wasn't focused on and minded purely on trying to save the company for as long as that was at all possible. And I no, think I you need to have that purity of approach, really. Uh, absolutely. And as you know, prom- yeah, we're not insolvency practitioners. We are turnaround people for that very reason. Yeah, John, could I thank you very, very much for giving up your time uh, and your input to this? I, I think it's been really insightful of what you know, the market, the approach and what directors you know, should look for. So can I thank you again very much? Not at all, David. No, good to speak. And thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This podcast was brought to you by Prompt Business Strategies, the turnaround and growth specialists. If you want to get in touch with David Stone or any of our speakers, please visit our website, promptstrategies.co.uk and use the contact details you'll find there. All the views expressed in this podcast are individual opinions and are general, so they do not constitute professional advice. If you want to see how an issue applies to your own situation, then please do talk to us directly.